I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing book 35, Stacy and the Mystery of Stony Brook. Dun, dun, dun. I forgot how many regular books were mysteries. A lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them. Okay, let's do our one sentence summaries. Mine is... The babysitters deploy a classic colonizer trope as the neighborhood watches an old house get torn down. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Mine is the girls get frightened by a condo development project and a dying senior citizen. Ooh. This sounds like a horrible book so far. (laughs) (laughs) And? Um, My one sentence summary is, why is this a mystery? Nice. Very good. I mean, Classic. it's pretty, it's called Stacy in the Mystery House. I mean, it's not literally called that. <laughs> Mystery of called? Stony Brook. <laughs> oh, is it? I don't see, I don't even know the title of the book. <laughs> um, okay, we should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast. I'm Annie Chikala, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. And I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual, and I like health food. If you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, check out our prologue episode. Also, rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or commentary, anything BSC-related, drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. And speaking of podcasts and reviews... Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Allison. And we want to talk to you about our podcast, The Bloom Saloon. It's a Dee Dee Bloom book club. We actually read each book one by one and discuss every chapter in minute detail. Yeah, so you don't have to read along. Or you can. That's fun, too. We do dramatic readings, which I think is the most fun. We get really into the characters that Judy's created for us. Jody, what's been your favorite book that we've read so far? Tiger Eyes. What about you? Are You There, Goddess Me, Margaret? Is a classic, and we were just so taken with that book when we read it. Dundini. Wifey. Blubber. Then again, maybe I won't. A non-Judy book, Domestic Arrangements. Shout out Norma Klein. Otherwise known as Sheila the Great. Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. Forever. Who could forget Ralph? I'd love to forget Ralph. (laughs) It's not for kids. We record every episode in... The Bloom Cocoon. A cozy embrace. A magical space. For friends like you. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) So, we got some helpful listener feedback. Somebody actually wrote us. Yay! (laughs) Um, So, this is from Paige, and it has to do about Mrs. Kishi. Oh, good. Yeah. She says, hi, I just listened to your your review about book 33 and really loved it. Well, well, thanks, Paige. Um, I wanted to answer your question about how much Mrs. Kishi would have made as a head librarian and did some quick Googling. We know that the BSC lives in Fairfield County, which is one of the wealthiest counties in the state. It's mentioned a couple of times in the Little Sister series and first mentioned in Karen's 
surprised if that helps. So I went to find the average, which is seventy-three dollars to $80,000 in today's money listed on Glassdoor. So maybe about eighty-five dollars as a head librarian, which would be about forty-five, dollars give or take, in the year 1990. So the Kishis are sitting pretty comfortable with John Kishi being a partner at a investment firm. Is I that correct? So. Yes. Uh, I'm not a librarian yet anyway, so I'm not sure how much it would be for a head librarian and used a ballpark figure. Okay, helpful. Mm -hmm. Thank you for doing that research, Paige. That's also very appropriate for this week as as part of this book takes place in the library. Yes. Yes. I mean, making 45000 in 1990 seems pretty good to me. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It was better than I would have thought. I agree. Um, for a head librarian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> Emily's going to become a farmer, listeners. That's her new That's her new plan. Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to work, so instead I'm going to do the most labor-intensive job there is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good, that's a great, great plan. What you, would you all think of this book? Well, should we do a quick little recap of the quote-unquote plot? Yes. Okay. It's a Stacy book. Mm-hmm. Um, Stacy is babysitting Charlotte Johansson for like a week. Charlotte's parents are out of town and they mm-hmm. don't want her to take her out of school. So they call the BSC hoping that she can either stay with Stacy and Stacy's mom or with the Ramses. And the Ramses are also out of town in this book, weirdly. <laughs> yeah. I, it's like just yeah. as a pretense for Charlotte staying at Stacy's. Is that why? I guess. Yeah. That seems so <laughs> weird because then like. Jesse's just not in this book. <laughs> yeah, I think. Well, I think they were just out of town over the weekend. Not, I, I assumed they went back to Oakley. They weren't out of town the whole time. But, um, but yeah, no, I think that's why. Because otherwise, it would make much more sense for her to stay with Becca. Yeah, and most of the yeah. book takes place over the weekend, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. What else? So there's this big old crazy house. Um, pictured on the cover which I have to say this is one of this is a good cover we haven't talked about many of the covers lately but I think that this is this is convincing to me as a very old haunted looking house Um, I could I can picture this Um, so there's this house and it's being torn down but it's being done slowly because the historical society has said that they have to preserve some fixtures and stuff um but weird things are happening there like there's weird noises and um stacy sees flies and fire and all kinds of stuff and basically everybody starts to get spooked and they get obsessed with this house like they do with different mysteries and they want to figure out what's what's wrong with it and then eventually they stalk like the former owner or maybe he's still the owner in a nursing home and he's like a thousand years old and about to die. And he scares Stacy and Christy and Claudia and Charlotte. Charlotte's along all the time, like as an honorary BSC member for this whole book, which I mean, it is what it is. And then, uh, then he writes Stacy a note saying they were all lies and he was just having fun that she gets after he dies. <laughs> like the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Like what? I don't know. He seemed okay the day before, so I was surprised that he. He died. seemed fine. He was like with it enough to make up a bunch of like ghost stories to scare some kids and write a note. Like he was like, "Oh, I was just waiting for someone to visit me, and now I can go. So why don't I write this note in case I die while I'm asleep tonight?" Like yeah, it's what? Like, it was like the last thing on his bucket list. Really implausible <laughs> to me. 
<laughs> yeah, I I have no I have no strong opinions about Mr. Ronald Hennessy other than I like his name. <laughs> yeah, it's a good name. Um, and then I didn't really I guess I didn't really get the B plot. Like sh- I I guess it's Stacy sort of enjoying having a temporary little sister. Like Charlotte's is that the plot? She's sick. I don't like. I don't. I thought more was going to happen with Charlotte staying with Stacy, but like nothing really happens. Yeah, yeah. They just play a lot of Clue and more. Mm-hmm. That's more. You know, if yeah. Stacy really wanted like a sibling, she could have gotten. She could have just gotten a, a kid sister. Oh, like kid sister. Yeah, <laughs> the toy. Yes. Yeah. That wouldn't have been weird in eighth grade. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Oh. Oh. You never you never saw the ads for my buddy or kid sister? It was like this giant, like probably this big doll that you like walk around with and like it's mm-hmm. you know What? Yeah, there's there's a song that everyone that has seen these commercials is singing. Kid now. sister. <laughs> kid sister. Wherever she goes. I go. Is that how it went? Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna go, kid sister. Yeah. Kid sister, kid sister and me. Yeah. The the My Buddy song was identical, mm-hmm. <laughs> except it was My Buddy. Mm-hmm. Emily looks really disturbed. <laughs> yeah. Well, so... <laughs> I'm so glad I don't remember the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> this, was, this was more late 80s. I mean, you weren't born. I feel mm-hmm. like it was, or you were tiny, but. Okay. You're welcome that I didn't get you one. Thank you. Well, I had a kid sister, so. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't need the plastic one. No. All right, oh. Emily, why don't you take us out of this and tell us about what you noticed in this book? It seemed it seemed Emily, Emily-esque to I me. I mean, I'm not sure there's a great pivot. That's a great pivot, but <laughs> we'll, we'll go there. Um, so the, the thing that is very striking in this book, kind of in keeping with our criticisms of Indigenous erasure in the BSC universe, is that Everyone attributes the the haunting to the fact that Stony Brook was built ostensibly, supposedly, allegedly, on an ancient burial ground, which they never say Native American or Indian, but the mm-hmm. implication is is that, right? The ancientness denotes the 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 former occupants, of course, contributing to the erasure of enduring indigenous populations and peoples. Um, so that's kind of one dimension. But it's also kind of an interesting um I was looking to to see just for some like historical background on this trope kind of in pop culture. And so there's a couple things that I've discovered. So one um is that this is a, a long enduring trope, right? It's not new. Mm-hmm. It's not invented in the nineties or in the eighties or seventies or whatever, but it's like, you, you see it back to early um, colonial writers, right? That like in large part, they attribute things that happen to them that they can't explain to the presence of indigenous populations with their mystical traditions and blah, blah, blah. So it like mm-hmm. does the, even, even at, at the moment of um, colonizing, it plays this role of rendering indigenous peoples um, uh, sort of of the past, right? And kind of static. Um, and then like the colonizers are the progressive kind of humans moving forward. And so it has a long, long, long history in um, like explore, explorer writing and things like that. But it gets picked up um, kind of as a 
as a popular cultural trope in the 70s and 80s. And a lot of different journalists attribute actually Amityville Horror as the kind of catalyst for the reemergence of this trope mm-hmm. and the popularity of it, which I thought was super interesting be- given that the girls talk about it in here. Um, and then Pet Cemetery is another like really famous example of this that the girls also discuss. So there's a lot of different kind of assessments of why this trope sort of gained ground in this era. And one that I find particularly convincing is that it's a, a, a kind of demonstration of the middle class sort of or the, or the aspirational middle class like need or desire or compulsion to to own property and there's this kind of latent anxiety underneath it that the property that we own like isn't really ours right and so the haunting is the is like the the Mm. ghosts of the things that um we stole it from but they're you know we're instead of confronting this anxiety like as public policy or like um you know as like a justice yeah yeah, as like a a justice kind of cornerstone instead it becomes this really spooky ghost story that like really really resonates with um with folks across you know various socioeconomic and and um sort of geographic landscapes but it gets i mean so one one journalist i saw said that this is like a a predominantly 70s and 80s trend but it it Mm -hmm. endures i mean there's still kind of comedic um representations of this trope you know like parks Mm -hmm. and parks and rec is an example that this journalist cites that um resonated with me as somebody who watched that show right that there's this kind of narrative there where they had this horrific kind of bloody past with the indigenous tribe that was there but who's still there right and so like a lot of their their political dealings with the tribe are um like the the comedy that happens is the tribe tries to tap into these fears the white man fears over indigenous uh, you know mysticism mm. and, and but it's like they're deploying the trope kind of against the the white people like making fun of them for it and mm-hmm. it's like so it's like i think it's kind of dealt with well-ish in that show like there are some moments where you're like okay you're just re- reproducing this trope but i think i think it's meant to be tongue-in-cheek acknowledging the absurdity of it but like it's a thing that i think still exists in a lot of different um, popular cultural artifacts but i was curious whether that that thesis um resonated with you that it's like primarily a, a feature of like the 70s and 80s you know in com- in combination with that that era's um sort of bolstering of the middle class and this like um you know value attached to home ownership and things like that i i mean i don't i don't remember amityville horror i never i'm not a big scary movie person either so like i don't know anything about the the how that was taken up at the time but well i don't i've never seen the movie but i did mm-hmm. read the book yeah we and, both read the book and it scared the shit out of me really yeah yeah like it, it like i think it made me i think I never like scary things, mm-hmm. but I think that really put me like over over the edge where I was like, I'm never reading a scary book again. Because I remember even like waking up, I remember how he like wakes up at like three, three something every night. Mm-hmm. I yeah. feel like that happened to me one night and I like yeah. got so scared. And like every yeah. time I saw a fly anywhere, I was like, are there going to oh, be God. fireflies? There's going to be a whole wall of flies. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing that was really um, effective about the Amityville horror and what I think drew us in as like the preteens we were, I think we were probably about Stacy and Dawn's age when we read it, um, is it was very much marketed 
I think it's coming on the heels of the satanic panic. Like it was very much marketed as a true story. Mm-hmm. Like this is the real documentation of what happened to this family. And, you know, scientists have looked into it and haven't been able to explain it. You know, it was very much, it was not like this is a Stephen King novel that somebody made up. It was like marketed as a, a, a real thing. Mm-hmm. And so at a time when, you know, I had all kinds of like, I had books about the Bermuda Triangle mm-hmm. and like all kinds of different occult stuff. And that was really, um, that was really appealing and, but also terrifying, mm-hmm. like end notes. You know, this guy, um, so one of the books I read a review of and read an excerpt of is called Ghostland and American History and Haunted Places by this um, writer and journalist Colin Dickey. And he like tracked the context in which these books were written against the landscape of kind of what lo- what local governments what conflicts they were having with indigenous tribes at the time and there was a lot of like in both Maine and like in the Amityville area like ongoing disputes oh, yeah. about land that were like uh, that were about uh, that were like being reported on and so uh, there's this guy's like this is an interesting connection that like at the same time as these books are um being written and like becoming very very popular there's this like ongoing highly publicized kind of dispute over land and it's an interesting way to to like grapple with the the I don't know, the onus of responsibility for like what, whose land is it, I guess, or like who's responsible for these, these crimes, right. Of spookiness. This is making me question why I even bought a house. (laughs) (laughs) Good. (laughs) I'm like, Oh, I've been tricked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've all been tricked. We're all on stolen land for sure. Yeah. I, I, I had never thought about it connected like you said, Emily, to like property ownership and capitalism, because it very much is like this Reagan era boom, like, you know, we're all we're all moving on up in the world and we're buying a, a, like our house. And the the I mean, that was definitely part of the plot of Amityville Horror, even though I haven't like literally touched that book since I was 12. I remember the family being very excited to be able to afford this big, beautiful house in this beautiful suburb and they they had finally gotten comfortable in the world and that was part of the like you know the lesson um, i mean even right now i feel like we're in this weird real estate boom currently where like houses are at an all-time high and i see it around mm-hmm. me people are desperate to buy a house and i see people i know bidding like 300 400,000 above the asking price to get this like small piece of land and it's it Mm -hmm. is kind of like interesting that we put so much value on land Mm -hmm. when that is really how people made their wealth like centuries and centuries and thousands of years ago right is being landowners kind of Mm -hmm. yeah i mean still right (laughs) yeah (gasps) yeah god should i just like i'm gonna go work on a farm assembly now yeah (laughs) sell my house work on a farm yeah i thought it was interesting because it's like to think about what is actually so scary about the prospect of owning a haunted house is that like the easy answer is that oh if someone else was there before is it really yours (laughs) right like (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah well man whoa whoa man 
Well, and I also thought that the, 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 like, obvious plot also, though, is that they're, they're tearing down this historical building for some kind of condo development, too, right? So it's got the present day, late 80s, early 90s, like, continuing to boom, continuing to, like, build vibe as well so you get a little bit of the you know we have to protect the history of our little town where no people lived before just these settlers in mm-hmm. the seven sixteen hundreds or whatever um but they, against, they came so across these ancient forces. burial grounds right <laughs> right like yeah yeah so it's like these two different waves of you know obviously there's the colonialism from the beginning but then there's also the kind of ambiguously evil continued overdevelopment of the mm-hmm. late 80s mm-hmm. is also also cast a shadow i'm surprised there wasn't more like a nimbyism sort of mm-hmm. you know subplot to this i can see stony brookers getting really like not in my backyard yeah yeah i'm on a condo yeah yeah that's gonna drive down our although if this value. is if this is on the water that tracks that mm-hmm. like those water front areas were sort of like prime real estate for development still i mean still yeah. now yeah i still can't believe it's on the water <laughs> it's Some, really I read this book as a child multiple times i like all of you know i would have known at some point but it just doesn't seem right mm-hmm. yeah they could have made claudia like really good at kayaking or like, water skiing water skiing but mm. too skiing i don't know <laughs> Claudia and her skis. Yeah, anyway, that was the big thing for me in this book. All right. I I don't have a ton. This was not there's not a lot of psychology in this book. I I I have nuggets today. Um I I thought the first chapter with Stacy coming back home on the train from her dad's to her mom's was a really nice like nicely written chapter. This is another ghost-written book. This is a uh, Ellen Miles who we haven't read before. And who I discovered last night goes on to write all of the mysteries. So since you liked the mysteries, Emily, this is, she's your gal. Okay. Um, but I thought it was a really nice chapter. Like I thought it just set mm-hmm. up, you know, where she is with her parents and kind of how she sees herself in the world. And that was like a good sketch of Stacy for us. Um, one thing that's not psychology at all, but they, they still talk a lot about changing out of school clothes in these books. <laughs> And I, I don't know if that was a, still a thing in the in 1990. I don't remember ever doing that. And do you? Like, mm-hmm. I know if you have a school uniform, and then I know, like, you know, when we read like a Judy Bloom book, you know, if we go back to the the 40s, you know, people changed out of school clothes into play clothes. But I don't feel like we did that in the 90s. I feel like maybe I did. I don't know. I yeah. feel like my mom maybe made me do it in elementary school. Mm. like okay school clothes versus like at home clothes mm-hmm. but yeah but by middle school i don't know but also by middle school i was playing a lot of sports so i changed out of my clothes anyway yeah so i don't really right but that's different they're not coming from sports practice here yeah well they don't play sports right right which is weird none of them play sports actually i know yeah. i find that implausible just because like everyone does it in middle school yeah right yeah. I mean, no, but that all seven of them wouldn't is impossible. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess Christy plays has, you know, softball, but 
But does she play on the yeah, Stony Brook Middle School on, team? Yeah. No. Yeah. That seems the most implausible thing, actually. Yeah. Agreed. Hmm. Should okay. we should we assign sports to all the babysitters? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Marianne okay. plays tennis. Totally. Oh. Mm-hmm. Stacy, uh, field hockey. I feel like Don plays oh. soccer. Mm. Yeah, Don plays yeah. soccer. Well, she played soccer in California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Christy softball, obviously. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll stick her there. Um, Who's the tallest one? I feel like there's got to be a volleyball player in there. Jesse. No, she's not going to play a sport yeah, and she's risk play- breaking okay. her she's leg. Not gonna, yeah, no way. Fair enough. Okay. Come on, Esri. <laughs> what is Claudia? Claudia? Claudia could play volleyball. Yeah, she could play volleyball. I can see that. Mm-hmm. How about Mallory? I feel like Mallory's- Mallory runs cross country. Yeah, I was going to say Mallory's, well, Mallory's most like my older daughter. So I'm like, does she do fencing? Does she like, she yeah. does, she does something that's not like, a straight ahead sport because Mallory hates boys and gym. We'll come up to that a lot. Mm-hmm. That's right, it. right, right. <laughs> golf. She could golf. My brother was on the golf team in high school. Yeah, that's very unlike Janine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I feel better now. Okay, good. All right. Um, I there's also a lot of dreams in this book um, that I feel like are you know, about this old house and their given significance. So I just want to say for the record that dream analysis is garbage and it's not psychology. Um, but uh, I also think um, we were talking before the podcast started and Emily, you very astutely pointed out some of the stuff that remains unexplained about this house, like Charlie and Sam talked to the workers and debunk basically a lot of the things they saw um, there had been a beehive that was disturbed. It wasn't flies. There was a guy there working with a torch when they saw um, a flame Fire. in the window and then it disappeared and they saw a face in the window and it disappeared. They thought all the workmen had gone home, but it wasn't. But um, Stacy does see fire a couple times where there is no fire. Um, and we are in this long game leading up to Stacy's emergency. So when poorly managed diabetes can cause hallucinations, um, so she sort of chalks it up to her imagination playing tricks on her, but I think you're right, Emily. I think that's what that was. And that could probably, probably also account for her, her really vivid dreams yeah. as well. Mm. Um, not for Charlotte, but you know. if you like, oh, if you're, if you're into dream analysis, even with the acknowledgement that it's garbage, you should head over to my other podcast, the always already podcast, where we have a segment called one or several wolves where we basically interpret everyone's dreams as being about the horrors of writing a dissertation. <laughs> so that's usually what they're about, even yeah. even for those of us that are long past our PhD. <laughs> if, so yeah. for for the small kernel of overlapping audiences, head head that way for garbage dream analysis. Yes, and and critical theory. Yes, um, not just garbage dream analysis. Look, it's fun. I'm not saying it's not fun. I just want to, so you know. It's, it is not uh, a part of the science of psychology, but it is fun. Yeah. And then I just, I really enjoyed Mr. Fucking Hennessy. He had a good time with them. He like, he was like, oh, here's some random girls who are coming to visit me to snoop around about my life. I'm going to scare the bejesus out of them. And he told them some good ghost stories and I was pleased. But like, then he just dies. I I know. <laughs> like what? Yeah. He died real fast. And he like knew he was going to die. Yeah. 
What are the odds that they just happen to visit him the day before he was already going to die? Well, or that he's he's dying along with his house, right? Because it wasn't at the day that the house was getting torn down. Mm-hmm. Are you saying it's like his his spirit house? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as the house was torn down, he also crumbled. And- yes. But the Wizard. nurse said that he died over the night. Mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't want to live to have to hear about it being torn down. So he willed himself to die? They said he was like 150. I think they were exaggerating. Yeah. as am i but he was very old also when i like whenever the babysitter sees someone who is old they like freak out they're like oh my god he was like bent over in half and he was all wrinkly and like you know i was like okay calm down just he was so old so old yeah he was what's this <laughs> super ordinate goal thing that you have here the thing that um uh, I think is interesting about the mystery books um, sort of interpersonally with the babysitters is that it, it, it is another thing that sort of pulls them together. Um, they, they all get really invested when there's a mystery to solve and they're like, Claudia's back at the library again, looking up information that might be helpful. They're like mm-hmm. trying to find maps. They're in Watson's library and his mansion looking stuff up. Um, and, that's one of the things that we know from some from some bad quote unquote studies from the 60s, but also things that have been replicated in social psychology since then, that working toward what's called a superordinate goal or a goal like above individual goals is something that helps kind of groups gel together. Mm-hmm. And so there's this famous experiment that really, you know, the N is like, 20 and it's all 11 year old white boys at this camp in the 60s um called the robber's cave experiment because it was a robber's cave state park um and the psychologist muzaffar sharif um randomly assigned the boys into two groups and they came up with names for themselves and they were like the eagles and the rattlers and then they observed the kids over these like four days at summer camp and they started to like have an in-group identity Right. So like, well, we're eagles and that means that we run fast and we're like and oh, we don't like the rattlers because the rattlers aren't as good at playing ball or what, whatever. They, you start to like make generalizations about the out group and make positive judgments about the in group. Um, and he was studying that to see sort of how groups are formed and how prejudice is formed. And he was also interested in how you combat combat that. And so then he gave them. It's like any kid's sports movie, you know, it was like the anonymously evil other camp was coming and they had to work together. Um, And so that like helped the Eagles and the Rattlers come together and, you know, get along better because they were working toward a goal above both of their in-groups. Now, guess what I'm thinking about now? Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah. (laughs) That's why I said anonymously evil. Yeah. (laughs) exactly Um, the whole thing is a bit trite don't you think yeah Yeah. so I mean it's not a it's I said quote-unquote study it's like it's a classic social psychology study 
in that it is, you know, really bad and <laughs> like poorly controlled and they, you know, made grand sweeping generalizations about it. But it did give us some sort of heuristics to think about how in-group and out-groups are formed and led to things like the contact hypothesis that we've talked about before, that if you're close to people from different ethnic groups, mm-hmm. then you are less prejudiced than if you don't know anyone from a different ethnic group, for instance. Um, so it was kind of a foundational study that's deeply flawed, but that led to a lot of other work in social psychology. So I just think it's interesting that Anna Martin often gives them something to work together towards, whether it's solving a puzzle or, you know, solving a mystery. You know, we've seen this with a number of the mysteries, but with other plots as well, that they have to come together to get something done. And I think we see that reinforcing their ties again and again. It is interesting how the books where there's a lot of, um, where there's a lot of all of them, it's either that or they're all fighting. Yeah. <laughs> there's very yeah. little everyone in a, in a one person like dominant plot situation. Mm-hmm. We haven't had a, like a fight in a bit. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure one's coming. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. It's been a <laughs> Um, There were also not enough boys in this book. I would just like to, <laughs> yeah. oh, I know, to say. Really? Very few. Very few. Oh, boy. All right. And I'm really curious about Gary Rockman, <laughs> this celebrity that Stacy sees on the streets of New York and then has a dream about. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we've gone down like the, <laughs> the 80s. And this is like, this is just barely in the 90s. Because mm-hmm. at first I was like, oh, I was thinking it could be like Leo. Leo DiCaprio, mm. but he doesn't get famous till years later, really. Mm. So we're kind of stuck with the usual suspects. Nah. Uh, but I do think she maybe used Rock Hudson as like the base for the name. The name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. As as her inspiration. How old would but, Rock Hudson have been? <laughs> very God. old. Very old. I mean. So this is what I thought. He died in nineteen eighty five. Oh my god. Okay, so no. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if he was alive in 1990. Yeah, so he, but if he was still alive, he was born in 1925. So. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, maybe just my parents. Stacy does like older men. Ew. Okay. Yeah, oh, I, we don't get a sense of um, like how old this famous person is because she doesn't ever get to tell her story. So we don't know if he's like a Cam Geary like young mm-hmm. heartthrob or like some other, you know. Like Tom Cruise. Older person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. She mentioned Scott the lifeguard in the book. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was also like disappointed that she didn't flirt with the guy at the doctor's office. She was like embarrassed about holding highlights in a kid's doctor's office. Like, why is that embarrassing? What else are you going to look at? She gets it's embarrassed true. very easily around boys. Boys, yeah. But I guess she is only 13. Ugh. Come on, Stacy. thought you were sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Let her be a child. I know, but she's um, a child. She just could flirt, you know. Yeah, I guess that's like kind of awkward in a in a doctor's office. Yeah. What would you do, Emily? I don't know. I'd be like, oh, <laughs> this old thing. I'm not really reading this. <laughs> yeah. Well, Emily makes friends with everyone, so she probably like. <laughs> She'd become like BFS with him or something. Yeah. 
So, okay. There's not a Sorry, lot. I'm still laughing at Emily's flirt laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Anne. Um, I mean, there's a lot of pop culture nuggets to flirt. in here. <laughs> She's still thinking about it. <laughs> she, like, got lost in her, like, own little flirt land daydreamscape. <laughs> Now she's thinking about Bart. She's like, what if well, I yeah, was somewhere? I'm always thinking about Bart. <laughs> Doesn't like, take much. But what would I do if Bart just walked in now? Hmm. What would you say if you were Christy in the doctor's office and Bart walked in? I don't know. I'd probably wave and wait for him to talk to me. Oh. Is that your your flirty wave? <laughs> hey. <laughs> Oh, jeez. <laughs> All right. Emily, quietly daydream about Bart. And um, what do you got? Well, okay. So I think that there was, as we said, the plot wasn't very substantial mm-hmm. in this book. So I think there is a lot of filler. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the fillers being when the Pikes play their wizard, the Wizard of Oz game. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like went on for a really long time for a Babysitter's Club book. Yeah, like several pages. It was pages. a long Babysitter's It was chapter. like a really yeah. long thing. So I, I think this ghostwriter just was kind of like, okay, like I'm just going to stretch this out a little bit. I think she there was also a lot of filler when Claudia was at the library. Mm-hmm. Like that went on for a long time. Uh, and it made me think like if, you know, if the internet existed then, Claudia would just Google it. And it'd be mm-hmm. done really fast. And then it got me thinking how many of the Babysitter's Club books wouldn't even exist if there was an internet? Oh, so many. So many, right? Yeah. I'm grateful that there was no internet. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so when Charlotte goes over to Stacy's, um, she's like really upset about leaving her parents and about her grandpa being sick. So Stacy is trying to like pep her up a little bit and she says i could see that charlotte needed some distraction i turned on the tv luckily the cosby show one of charlotte's favorites was on that kept her occupied for half an hour so i mean when i saw this on on the page i got really bummed out yeah it, it's like i try to like I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I try to forget it ever happened. Like the show, everything. Like, oh, like that it even ex- like that Bill Cosby was famous. Right. Like that yeah. it even existed. Like, yeah. It's it's been interesting because so it was our favorite TV show. Up in yeah. fr- and we we were like watching rerun reruns of it up until I don't know until I feel like the news came out about yeah. No, a- Emily, I feel like Anne and I liked the Cosby show almost as much as we liked the babysitters club. Yeah. Like it was. Yeah. Yeah. I never watched it. (laughs) Yeah. You were, I mean, Mm -hmm. you were too, you were too young. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it was truly a hilarious show. um, And just so funny. And it wasn't just, obviously it was like the entire Huxtable family and all the like. The cast is so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it made me be like, oh man, the eighties were like, and the, you know, the nineties were just, like 8:30 that show was on and like we every everyone in the country watched it basically it was like mm-hmm. you know like a pop culture phenomenon 
Yeah. So, and and, and I think I, mean, I think that Anna Martin only chooses to put real pop culture references in the book if she thinks they're going to like, you know, last last, right? So, you know, like she mentioned Ghostbusters in the book, like she kind of knew that was going to be a classic and mm-hmm. you know, and all the things she like mentioned Wizard of Oz. Wizard of yeah. Oz. Like all the things I love Lucy, like she puts yeah. in these kind of like timeless references for pop culture. Otherwise, she kind of fakes the name like like Gary Rockman, it's like mm-hmm. she kind of knows that a teen heartthrob isn't going to be relevant forever. Right. Wandering she, frog people, yes. But she did yeah. think the Cosby Show was going to be relevant forever. Well, well I, I guess she's not did. wrong, and just like not in the way. Yeah, I mean, we haven't. I'm feeling compelled. We haven't said it yet. Um, to just to be super clear, like we believe those women, um, and Bill Cosby is trash. Like, let's yeah. just like make that super, super clear. And that's why we're upset that this thing from our childhood was taken from us. I am more upset by the suffering that all of those women had. And when we were in the middle of a nostalgia romp, like Stacy and the mystery of Stony Brook, and then we get a Cosby show reference. It's like, Oh yeah. Damn it. Yeah. 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 Anyway, just had to acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah. And texted me like the Cosby show. Oh, can we talk about it? <laughs> I was like, yeah, we should talk about it. We can talk about the complicated nature of it. Yeah. I even, I think once I was saying how someone should like remove Bill Cosby from all the episodes somehow. Like Garfield without Garfield. Yes. <laughs> so we could like watch it, but he was like the creator of the show and like wrote everything. So I guess it's hard. Yeah. yeah. So it just, it just has to be dead to us. But it, yeah. it was kind of dormant until I saw this on the page. And I was yeah. like, ah, oh, it existed. I have to go through all these feelings again. <laughs> anyway, repress, if repress, repress, repress. <laughs> yeah. If any of our listeners have similar feelings, I w- we would like to hear from yeah. you. Yeah. Um, they also play a lot of Clue. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which, so Emily, you play Clue. Mm-hmm. Still. Uh, still. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've played it this year <laughs> several times. Uh, how does Clue hold up as an adult? Uh, it's a lot faster of a game. <laughs> I would imagine so. Yeah, but Matt and I play with our nephew, and he's not very good, so. <laughs> he's dumb, so we like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the, like, Clue was also a huge phenomenon when it came out mm-hmm. as a movie i have yeah, also actually seen that movie we watched it on the projector in the backyard this summer huh it was the first time i'd seen it though oh mm-hmm. did you like it yeah it was funny yeah yeah it's good it's good i'm glad <laughs> that emily understands some reference <laughs> i was like clue is that a real game i've never heard of it <laughs> Speaking of games, Christy and her siblings also play the name game. I know. Is that I a did. real game? Don't <laughs> look on Anne's face. Oh my god. Well, I I know the song, but how is that a game? Yeah. It's. I mean, you just you yeah. just you play the game like they do in the song. Eh. It's. I, I guess don't it's think that qualifies as a game. It's literally called the name game. <laughs> Yeah, I, I taking issue with the name of the name game. <laughs> Would you like to rename the name game? No. <laughs> the name yeah. song? Yeah, it doesn't rhyme. Song. Yeah. 
the name game was something i guess do kids still do that now as me i haven't heard anybody do it i don't you know that that song is like 150 years old yeah. <laughs> i mean when we were kids it was only 20 years old you know 25 years old yeah I guess and you guys so. are so that song is like yeah that song is like uh you know all star by Smash Mouth is how old Ugh. that song is God, for I now. That song. <laughs> Why would but you that's say what that? the name game is. That's what the name game is to like my twelve year old. Micah sometimes likes to go around the house singing Smash Mouth. <laughs> Just to, like walking on the sun. Yeah. Or, like... <laughs> yeah. I mean all oh All Star walking on the sun. But we had the name game on, on my fun rock cassettes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was having a hard time not sort of just singing the whole song in my, mm-hmm. with like the rules and stuff. I feel like my, my name head. is very easy to do with the name game. Mm-hmm. Emily seems a little bit more of a challenge. But you can't do it. It's too many syllables. It's annoying. <sighs> Emily, Emily, Bob, Emily, banana. No, it banana, sounds terrible. Emily, <laughs> Emily. Emily. <laughs> it's not hard. It sounds good. No, it doesn't work. It just worked. Yeah. It sounds great. Don't insult my name game prowess. Anyway, <laughs> um, I have definitely done that with kids I've babysat for, and they do want to just keep doing it forever. It's it's funny and weird. Yeah. Um, I think it's very entertaining for kids. Mm-hmm. For it's kids. A game. It's, like a, it's like a game. It's like it's a game. <laughs> uh, oh, so I missed this. So when uh, they're talking about building the condos, they say, how could they ever be at rest with houses and banks and Burger Kings on top of them? Mm. Interesting choice that you chose Burger King over McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Say more. I just feel like McDonald's is just like more universal. Yeah, yeah, it's more universal. Burger King is like, I don't know. Is Are there like people who are like, I'm a Burger King person? Oh, you know what I wonder? Yes. I wonder if the UK or Australian versions have different Fast food chains. Yeah. UK Australian listeners tell us. Is it like Outback Steakhouse? (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah. Now we're canceled in Australia, Anne, and it's all because of you. (laughs) Okay, it's called Outback. (laughs) The Never Never. The Never Never. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But there are McDonald's everywhere in the world. So that would have been a choice that could survive different cultural contexts. But to your Burger King question, was, this was at the time of your way right away, right? Like this was, mm. I think this was when Burger King was establishing that they would actually listen to the customer mm-hmm. and sort of painting McDonald's at, accurately, but painting McDonald's as like, you just get what's on the menu and you don't have any choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was a time, I think, when Burger King was really advertising a lot and trying to differentiate themselves. Hmm. Well, it didn't work. <laughs> Yeah, is Burger King anybody's favorite? Well, like, I was going to ask you if that could be an example of a super ordinate goal. Like, <laughs> I'm a McDonald's person. <laughs> so that's, yeah, I that's a, the, uh-huh. it would be if we're all working together to promote in and out instead. That would be mm. our super ordinate goal. But but in-group, out-group, McDonald's versus Burger King, absolutely. Except mm. I don't know if anybody's in the Burger King. I feel like if you're not McDonald's, you're like Carl's Jr. or like Shake Shack or something. Like, I don't feel like Burger King is anybody's first choice. I think it might be some people's. Mm. Perhaps like a contrarian type of person. Mm. Mm. You know? For example. 
Uh, and then the last thing I want to talk about was SpaghettiOs. Mm -hmm. I feel like as we could tell a funny story from our childhood, or we could. Yeah, we might have to. I'm not sure which one you're referring to. Oh, how you always fed me SpaghettiOs? <laughs> Is that, that a story? Sound like I spoon fed you. <laughs> Just that you only had them in my house. Yeah. So, yeah, Esme always had spaghetti. Like, SpaghettiOs were always in the pantry. Yeah. Along yeah. along with Twinkies and Twix, I feel. Yeah. Um, SpaghettiOs, well, because uh, my mother, Emily's loving grandmother, hates to cook. And so she invented this thing when Emily's mom was a child called Children's Choice, which is basically like, fend for yourselves, kids. Good luck. I don't want to cook tonight. And it was traditionally on Sundays, but it could be any night of the week. And and um, that was, you know, SpaghettiOs was a, was a reliable choice to have on hand for children's choice. Yuck. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So whenever I was at Esme's, I, I had never had SpaghettiOs before. Like, we just didn't have them in our house. Um, mm -hmm. So she would always feed me SpaghettiOs for, like, lunch if I was there during lunch. And I would just eat them. But I I don't like spaghettios. <laughs> Who does? Like, but I just I was like, ah, oh, spaghettios again. I'm like, okay, great. I gotta eat yeah. them. Why why wouldn't you have said something? I don't. I feel like a, a an eight year old doesn't really like know how to speak up for themselves in that manner. Like, no, not this bowl of spaghettios, and I like not push it away, <laughs> or like flip the table. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. You know. I I don't recall if, if if it was when we were eight. I doubt I was making it. I probably my mom was making it for both of us. Yeah. Oh, did we heat it so. up though? I feel like we did yeah. get it cold sometimes. Oh. <laughs> that would have been when we were older, and I just assumed that you liked spaghettios because you still hadn't said anything when we were like twelve or thirteen. Yeah. When did I finally admit that I didn't like them? I don't know. Was I like 32 or something? I so. Yeah. I think it was so. just now on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I used to, a lot of kids I used to babysit for were obsessed with SpaghettiOs and I'd be so annoyed because I'm like, I, I don't want to eat that. Yeah. You want to eat your tofu casserole? <laughs> I mean, I would rather eat like Kraft mac and cheese than SpaghettiOs. Mm -hmm. 100%. Kraft mac like, and cheese. Like far and away. Yeah. That was a treat. Yeah. <laughs> We had that sometimes at my house. Yeah, that was I like I enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. That was okay. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see, I think that's all I really got here. Um the Claudia's Claudia candies. Yeah, yeah I got, was gonna ask. Oh my god, uh, this is so weird. I just opened the book randomly to a page and I opened it to the page with spaghettios. Whoa. <laughs> it's it's Mr. Hennessy. Uh, it's the ancient burial ground under your Brooklyn apartment, Emily, that's bringing mm -hmm. you the synergy of opening to the SpaghettiOs page. Do, 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 do. Can't wait to see what dreams I have tonight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, continue. Um, we got M&M's, Twinkies. Mm -hmm. Great. And Twix. Have she Has Twix been mentioned before? I think so. Have they? But you, you have the master list, don't you? master list lol <laughs> as, as me i like that as me thinks i have a master list i know like i know you don't <laughs> what are you talking about as me <laughs> earlier on you did a like instagram post of like all the candies so far so i just sort of assumed that you were adding them to a list someplace oh no no <laughs> 
Yeah, there's no master list. It's this is the master list. Yeah, it's like a steel trap up yeah. there, huh? No, it's not. <laughs> there's I a leak. wish it was. There's there's a lot of leaks, a lot of holes. <laughs> Um, I think she's had Twix before, but I don't know because I'm not keeping yeah. a list. She's also, there was a mention of Ding Dongs, but it was more like she likes Ding Dongs rather than mm-hmm. her actually producing Ding Dongs. Yeah. yeah. What about Tally's says? Uh, Stacy was very judgmental. And I'm I'm curious to see actually as we get more ghostwriters, if the ghostwriters are more judgmental, like if they rely more on Tropes. the trope list as opposed to Anna Martin books. So Babyish makes a return. We got an additional bossy. Too sophisticated, too sensitive, too shy, too health food, individual, one individual, and one almond-shaped eyes. Mm. Damn. So it's a lot compared, you know, Marianne only had three last time, so it's a, it was a big uptick. What about everyone's favorite lines or weirdest lines? Um, I had two that are both kind of on the nose for this book. Mm-hmm. Um, one is from faces to flies to flames. Um, oh, that's <laughs> good. Is, which is how Stacy, I think, describes their um, journey. Oh, yeah. Charlotte and I told the whole story once more from faces to flies to flames. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also I like the weird character that Mr. Hennessy concocts called Old Rubber Nose. Yeah, that's good. Old Rubber mm-hmm. Nose, I like. Um, I really liked Vanessa's poem, which, again, is <laughs> too long for a title. But a fried egg will do the trick, butter the pan so it won't stick. Very good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I also really liked this sentence that is not a dialogue, but it's in the same chapter. Um, it, it's in this paragraph where Jordan's like, don't you know they're made out of worms? Talking about SpaghettiOs. And then the paragraph uh, like describing Nikki's reaction ends with the sentence, worms had reminded him of something. <laughs> Which... <laughs> Seemed like so dramatic. <laughs> Neither of those are good for yeah. titles, but I like they're them. good. Yeah, enjoyable. Yeah, my favorite line was, "Even spirits like junk food." Oh, that's Ooh. very good. Okay. Yeah, I, I think for me it's between that or old rubber nose. Uh, I'm I'm voting even spirits like junk food. Great, let's do it. Okay, perfect. <laughs> What about the pizza toast? Yeah, what should we pizza toast to? Mm-hmm. I, I I sort of like that the they get into a little debunking here. I, I kind of like Charlie and Sam giving some reasons for all of the different mystical happenings. It, it ties it up kind of neatly, but I also like that it may have been a, you know, little seed for early They're, skeptic. Are, <laughs> or are they mansplaining? Oh, good point. Now you just took it away from me. <laughs> now I don't like it anymore. Ruiner. Did you did you join Emily's ruining business? <laughs> yeah. It's a new podcast that Anne and I started, but we'll never produce because you're not part of it. <laughs> yeah. Truer things are never spoken. We have a meeting once a year and we never record because we keep changing and pushing it back. <laughs> And I forgot to edit the 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 promo. So, oh my god, um, uh, pizza toast, pizza toast to ghosts. I mean, you wanted pizza toast sure. to skepticism. No, I don't want a pizza toast to skepticism. Now it's just mansplaining. Now I don't like it anymore. Pizza toast to mansplaining. If you want a non-mansplaining 
um, debunking Carrie Poppy of the podcast. Oh no, Ross and Carrie has a good Ted talk about when she thought her house was haunted, but really she was getting carbon monoxide poisoning. I just spoiled it, but it's really good. (laughs) Yikes. Okay. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys want a pizza toast to? I don't know. I feel like this is falling to me. I don't know either. We could do to Ronald Hennessy. Yeah, let's do that. In his life. In death. All right. To Ronald Hennessy. To To Ronald Ronald Hennessy. Hennessy. This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna and Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kid. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash Stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling deeply generous and you want to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for.